17th Sunday after Pentecost, right, we forget that we're in what's called ordinary time, but this is no ordinary time. And sometimes it strikes me that when I look at the lectionary and it says 17 Sundays after Pentecost, you can feel like you're just kind of slogging through, right? Does anybody feel like they're kind of slogging through the pandemic right now? They're just trying to make it through. Well, it can feel like that in the lectionary too, because we have six months every year of kind of special time and six months of ordinary time. And we're in ordinary time right now, but this is no ordinary time. So our reading for today is taken from one of the epistles or letters that Paul wrote to the church at Philippi. We often use the gospel text because we only have so much time every Sunday. And we often use the gospel text. But today, the text is from Paul's letter to the church. And it is a letter filled with encouragement during challenging times. We have to remember the context in which this was written. Paul was in prison when he wrote this letter. And here is what he wrote in the book of Philippians, chapter 2, verses 1 through 13, to the church at Philippi. He was writing to a church that he loved and trying to give them encouragement. He wrote, If then there is any encouragement in Christ, any consolation from love, any sharing in the Spirit, any compassion and sympathy, make my joy complete. Be of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility regard others as better than yourselves. Let each of you look not to your own interests, but to the interests of others. Let the same mind be in you that was in Christ Jesus who, though he was in the form of God, did not regard equality with God as something to be exploited, but emptied himself, taking the form of a slave, being born in human likeness, and being found in human form, he humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore God also highly exalted Jesus and gave him the name that is above every name. So that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bend in heaven and on earth and under earth. And every tongue should confess that Jesus is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Therefore, therefore, Paul concludes, my beloved, just as you have always obeyed me, not only in my presence, but much more now in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who is at work in you. For it is God who is at work in you. Here ends the reading. Hear what the Spirit is saying to the church. Well, did you know, as I enter, or as I mentioned at the beginning of the service, that we have entered the dark disillusionment phase of this darn pandemic? Did you know that? In a moment, I will share with you more about the six stages of disaster recovery, of pandemic recovery, which are similar to learning about the stages of the grieving process. I shared this with our church board this past week and realized in the questions that I got afterwards how much people did not know that we are processing and progressing through very recognizable stages of disaster recovery. We just don't know it. 
So no matter how much, and this is the key point about this phase of disaster recovery, no matter how much you don't want to embrace the yuckiness of where we are right now in the country with the pandemic, social unrest, the death of RBG for goodness sakes and fight over her U.S. Supreme Court seat, continued injustice for people of color. We had the various outcomes of the Breonna Taylor matter this past week. Um, We are seeing economic and other crushing inequities in our society. Given all of that, I have to say that Brene Brown is right when she says we must embrace the suck. And there I said it. Her famous books. Have you heard this? Who here knows about Brene Brown? Let us know online. We're taking our church board through leadership on her Dare to Lead book. She's written other great books. But she writes that when you are in this kind of a time, whether you're in your own life or communally in the wider society, you have to embrace where you are. And she writes, I believe that you have to walk through vulnerability to get to courage. Therefore, she says, embrace the suck, embrace the yuckiness, just own it. Let everyone know that's where we are. And we are going to get to courage here by naming our vulnerability, our challenges, and by reassuring each other that we are not alone during this time. Because our church shines out like a lighthouse to a storm-stricken ship filled with humanity, all looking for a safe port in a broken and uncertain world. We have so much good news to share with you today, and some of that is information. But before I dive into the darkness of disillusionment, because I know some of you at home and here are like, oh yeah, won't that be fun? Let's just dive into the the darkness of disillusionment, right? Nodding heads. So before I do that, let me first share with you some great truths from small children. Because no matter what, some of you might find this is your favorite part of the whole sermon because you need something to lift you up. So I'm going to share with you some great truths from small children. And it doesn't matter whether you're in a pandemic or not, these all hold true. Number one, no matter how hard you try, you can't really baptize cats. Number two, never ask your three-year-old brother to hold a tomato. Number three, you cannot trust dogs to watch your food. Number four, don't sneeze when someone is cutting your hair. Number five, it is hard to unlearn a bad word. Six, it's easier to see mistakes on someone else's paper. Seven, if you want a kitten, start out by asking for a horse. Eight, when you're dressed up like a princess, it's easier to act like one. Nine, one drop of black paint on the paintbrush clouds the whole cup of water. One drop of black paint on the paintbrush will cloud the whole cup of water. I think I'm on nine. This was a good one. All libraries smell the same. Can I get an amen? All libraries smell the same, right? And two more. Ask where things come from before you eat them. 
Always a good one. And the last one. If you throw a ball at someone, they will probably throw it back. If you throw a ball at someone, they will probably throw it back. It's human nature. So, today we're going to be talking about human nature and the Bible and what it means to be together as a church and to shine a light of hope out to a hurting world. So I have a lot to lift up and share, and I'm going to do three things, hopefully, during this sermon. Number one, do some teaching about where we all are during this pandemic, because I know many of you have told me that you've just got, you've taken to just turning off the news and just tuning out because you can't take it anymore, and I understand that. So I want to fill you in on where we are in this pandemic so that you understand that you're not alone. Secondly, I want to take a look at what the Bible has to teach us about how to be a church during this challenging time. And third, we're going to be looking at how to apply those biblical teachings as we're learning how to be a beacon of hope during the pandemic. So, first, as I mentioned, six months into COVID, we are at the disillusionment phase of this pandemic. The crisis response experts tell us that there are six predictable stages of crisis response and recovery, which humanity is traversing through due due to the pandemic. And something to share about this is that just because something is predictable does not make it any easier to go through. Did you know that? It's like grief. Even though there are predictable stages of grief, doesn't make it any easier to go through just because you know it's predictable. It's the same thing with crisis recovery. There are predictable stages of crisis recovery, but just because it's predictable and we can name it, which we're going to do today, doesn't make it any easier to go through other than to know that you are not alone. Now, there is an excellent article about these stages of disaster recovery that was published by the religion news service on september 14th 2020 i invite someone online maybe to pop it into the live feed um, but it's religion news service september 14th 2020 and you can read more about the disaster stages of relief these are predictable stages i'm going to explain each one a little bit number one First, we experienced the pre-disaster phase when fear and uncertainty crescendoed and the bad news sunk in that COVID had landed on our shores and was becoming a world health emergency. The second phase is called the impact phase. And that's where you see intense emotional reactions in the community. That was the period of frenzied grocery uh, trips and hand sanitizer shortages and Fights in the stores over toilet paper. Do you remember saying that? People fighting over toilet paper. That's the impact phase. The third phase in disaster recovery is the hopeful heroic phase. And we saw this over a period of several months when altruistic acts moved to the forefront of the news, when healthcare workers became our role models and public support swelled for frontline workers. You know, we saw everyone banging their pots and pans in New York. Right? We don't see that as much anymore because we've passed through the heroic phase. Then there's a fourth phase that is called the honeymoon phase. You see it's a high point there on the chart. It's commonly marked by a sense of optimism. And 
people were so optimistic that COVID would pass quickly as people began to quarantine and comply with stay-at-home orders across the country. And we all learned about COVID etiquette or COVID-etiquette. Figure out how to say that, COVID-etiquette, COVID-etiquette, about mask wearing and things like that. Honeymoon phase. But despite all of that, we are now at the fifth phase, which you'll kind of see lasts a fairly long time in this whole process. The fifth phase is the disillusionment phase. Let me know by a show of hands on the sanctuary and online. How many of you have experienced disillusionment these past few weeks? How many of you are there? I see a lot of hands up in the sanctuary. Let us know online. Because we can't sometimes walk through something if we can't name it. Emotional and spiritual struggles are a common feature of this phase of major disasters. This chart wasn't prepared for this pandemic. This has been used as a crisis recovery model for all kinds of disasters, fires and hurricanes and floods. And this has been a well-researched phenomenon. But emotional and spiritual struggles are common during this phase. If you read any reputable news report right now, It has to be reputable, by the way. Let me make that point. If you read any reputable news report right now, you will find reports of numerous psychological studies that are showing increasing rates in our country of depression, anxiety, and substance abuse during the pandemic. Can I get a show of hands or let us know online? Have you seen those news reports? Have you seen that information? That is documented Americans are now telling pollsters that they hold little hope that the danger will recede anytime soon. Google is reporting that some people are just tuning out of the whole thing, that there's been a 90% drop in Google searches since March about COVID. Did you know that? A lot of people are no longer watching any of the, the, I don't know, the news reports and the press conferences and things like that because they, they just can't absorb any more bad news or any more um, ties from the governor, whatever it is. Don't get me wrong, I like the ties. They're great. But how, how long has it been since you've seen a press conference with Governor DeWine? Anyone watch the press conference this week? Yeah, we got a couple. Anybody watch the president's press conferences this week about the pandemic? Okay. People are tuning out because they hold little hope that the danger will recede anytime soon. It's because we're in the disillusionment phase. Which means that this can also be a tough time to be the church. At a time when more people than ever are desperately searching for answers to existential questions like meaning, purpose, destiny, control, and the role of self at this time. That's why the bad news is, you can see how long that phase lasts. The bad news is that the disillusionment phase can sometimes feel like a forever phase when you're in the midst of it. Which leads us to asking, what's the next phase? What's the final phase? And that brings us to the sixth and final phase of the crisis recovery model, which is the reconstruction phase. And what we don't know right now is how long we're going to be in this disillusionment phase of the pandemic. We cannot predict exactly when we're going to get to the reconstruction phase. But there is hope that we will get there. 
And in the reconstruction phase, we begin to create a new normal. We begin to create a new beginning. We can create a better normal for people as we work through the grief and pain. But first, we've got to get through those other five stages. You can't get to the reconstruction phase if you don't honestly progress through the other stages. So experts cannot predict right now how long the disillusionment phase will last and how long the reconstruction phase will last. But I'm here to tell you that there's hope in that reconstruction phase because we have the opportunity to create a new society. Did you know that? We have the opportunity to create a new normal. We have the opportunity to create a new world. It's wide open right now. And let's not lose hope in this disillusionment phase that it's not preparing us to create a new normal. So where does that leave us as a church? I'm going to tell you that it leaves us at the very spiritual center of this crisis. Did you know that? That our church is at the spiritual center of this crisis. The church with a big C is at the spiritual center of this hurting world. And I'll just limit it to this country right now. Because we passed a milestone this past week or two. Do you know what that was in terms of COVID? Do you all know what I'm talking about? The milestone? Yeah. It's a grim milestone of 200,000 lives lost. And sometimes we just have to rest with that searing truth for a moment. It's often hard to fathom and we don't want to think about it, but in order to move through it, sometimes we have to rest with it. You know, it was reported in the Washington Post, and I, I, I hung on to these two cities because I've been to both places. It said 200,000 deaths is akin to losing the entire population of Salt Lake City or the entire population of Montgomery, Alabama. So if you think about it that way, it, it really sinks in. And at this very moment, as we're trying to grapple with these grim statistics and everything else that's happening in society, many people in Columbus don't attend church anymore. Some of you may be watching online today, and it's the first time you've even ventured to tune into a church because you're not sure a church can be relevant right now. And yet, if you're here online for the first time today, if you're in the sanctuary for the first time, if you're venturing to come back into the sanctuary, know that there are many, many people here in Columbus alone who are desperately searching for meaning and connection and friendship and belonging in the midst of this perplexing pandemic, social unrest, and complex political climate. Well, our context today is much like that of the Church of Philippi long ago. You may not know that, that this is not a new phenomenon. Long ago, Philippi was a major urban city of Macedonia in a Roman colony. So let me go into some teaching right now, some biblical teaching. Don't tune out, don't doze out, get another cup of coffee if you need to, but I'm going to do a little biblical teaching. Philippi was a major urban city of Macedonia. It was a Roman colony. And the Christian community in Philippi was about to become an important part of the growth of Christianity in that area. The problem is the congregation just didn't know it yet. They didn't know how important they were to the growth of the faith. So the church's founder, the Apostle Paul, was in prison at the time he wrote today's letter to his church, and he was facing an out, 
an uncertain outcome himself. And remember, uncertain, remember, this was a time when Christians were thrown to the lions for sport by the Romans. So it really was an uncertain time. So talk about being afraid and wondering how to accomplish the impossible through church. So Paul is writing to his beloved congregation from prison to encourage them to help them become a more perfect expression of Christ Jesus and thus deliver the gospel to a new generation in a vastly secular culture in that Roman city. Paul is telling his people how to be the perfect church by having the mindset of Christ in all things. In all things. But most importantly, Paul is explaining that the perfect church is not a building. Let us not forget that, right? The perfect church is not this Gothic structure with stained glass. We like our church, don't get me wrong. We like being here. But as you all have found the last six months, church is not the building, right? It's the people. Can I get an amen? The church building is not the gospel. It is merely a delivery system of the gospel. Let us not forget that. The church building is not the gospel it's merely a delivery system of the gospel it helps us get to the truth well yeah it reminds me of nicotine that cigarettes were the delivery system of nicotine they really weren't the problem themselves it was the delivery system so you know think about that dynamic for a minute but the perfect or real church because nothing's really perfect, so I would use the term real church. A real church is a group of Christians delivering the gospel effectively, meaning teaching people how to love themselves and love each other. Now, I'm going to do a little more academic teaching for a few sentences, so bear with me, because Philippians chapter 2, verses 1 through 13 is one of the most widely read and studied passages of the New Testament, with its dense yet beautiful statement of high Christology in a short but poetic hymn. It sums up the theological significance and take notes if you're one of our seminary students and progressing towards ordination, take some notes right now. It sums up, Hank is laughing. It sums up the theological, I'm giving you the answer to the test right now, right? It sums up the theological significance of Christ's self-giving, self-emptying life, kenosis, while pointing to a hopeful future time when all of creation will join in recognizing the power and significance of this salvific event. So there you go. That's what the academics say about this sentence. And yay, we were able to do it in about four sentences. Amen, right? Amen. I got to do a little teaching. Now, that's what the academics say about this passage. But local church pastors will tell you that the reason this passage is one of the most read and studied passages of the New Testament is because it is full of encouragement for the church, for the Christian church of the generations, and for our church today. Because like I said, we may think that we may not have much in common with the church of Philippi 2,000 years ago, but we do. Because despite all of the technological and other advances of the past 2,000 years, psychologists will tell you that human nature hasn't changed all that much. Did you know that? Human nature has not changed all that much in 2,000 years. So helping each other was St. Paul's message to the church at Philippi. He said, in your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus. 
Paul was encouraging the church at Philippi to be like Jesus. He said, humble yourselves as Jesus humbled himself. Be a servant as Jesus became a servant. Paul is describing the nature of a healthy church, a church where people look out for each other following Jesus' example. I would say that this was the first century equivalent of the phrase, I've got your back. How many of you have heard that phrase, I've got your back? What does it mean? Tell us online. And here in the sanctuary, I know we can't shout out answers in the mass, but if I say to someone, especially someone who's in a difficult time, I've got your back. It means generally I'll be there for you. I will look out for you. I help you. I'll help you when you're in trouble. I won't leave you alone. In church, in real life church, I've got your back means that we are there for each other even during a pandemic. And that's what it means to be part of St. John's. If you're new to us online, if you're new to us in the sanctuary, that's what it means to be part of St. John's. We have each other's back. We're really not perfect but we are striving. So I want you to take just a minute. You can't take your masks off here in the sanctuary. You can shout it out at home. Um, You can put it in the Facebook live feed, but I want you to take just a minute. And again, don't shout too loud through your mask, but I want you to turn to somebody you do not know, even across the way and just say, I've got your back. Just stand up. Enough of you here in the sanctuary, just stand up at home, stand up. Send us a picture of yourself, stand it up, and just say to somebody, point at them, I've got your back. Again, I've got your back. Remember, everyone hears a mass, but at home you can shout it out, I've got your back. All right, thank you. You can be seated. It's always good to stretch during a sermon. <laughs> but that's part of being church, is to say, I've got your back. And the second concept that Paul was really referring to that's embedded in this, uh, in this letter to the church at Philippi is the concept that we call today soul friends, having soul friends. I talk about that a lot, but let us know online and by a raise of hands here in the sanctuary. Have you heard me talk about that? Have you heard that phrase before about having soul friends? It's an ancient concept to have a soul friend. The Celtic phrase is anam kara. A-N-A-M is the first word. The second word is C-H-A-R-A. And I will leave it to each of you this week to do some research on what it means to be a soul friend. Someone who is with you through thick and thin, who loves you unconditionally as a friend, warts and all, who will be there for you when things look dim. And this doesn't mean that it's someone that you're married to or your loved one. I'm talking about a soul friend, someone that you would not have met but for your relationship with the church or group or someplace where spiritually you met someone who could help you through thick and thin and who helped you become a better friend to others. And that really is the best part of St. John's Church. The many people who have made a soul friend here, people who would not have met in any other context but for braving a relationship with this church. You are going to hear a video at the end of this sermon from Jeff and Dwayne McCroby with their daughter Avery talking about how that's one of the first things that happened to them when they came to St. John's was making friends, being in a place where as a gay couple they felt at home, They were accepted, and they could raise their daughter. 
can we give an amen and a round of applause to a church that provided a radically inclusive space for them. But you'll hear it in their own words in the video to come. But another good analogy, I love this analogy, and I hope that you'll think about it, and it sinks into your spirit. And especially this time of year, you will see this, because another good analogy for Paul's message about being a perfect or a real church and becoming a soul friend is that flock of geese making its way across the sky. So if you picture that flock of geese, you know the V formation, how they're literally flying in a V formation? Do you know why they fly in a V formation? Raise your hand if you know why they fly in a V formation. Some of you do, because you, some of you are like, yeah, I know why. <laughs> um, but as each, but many of you don't, so I'm going to share this with you. As each goose flaps its wings, it creates an uplift for the other birds to follow. It's like driving behind the draft of a truck. You ever done that? Where you get to go a little faster? By flying in a V formation, this has been studied by the biologists and the people who study geese. By flying in a V formation, the flock adds 75% extra to its flying range. The geese fly 75% further by flying together in formation. Did you know that? 75%. And we can do the same in church, says Paul. By sharing a Christ-like sense of community and helping each other get where we are going more easily together. Now, if you're watching at home, if you're here for the first time, if you don't know anybody here at St. John's, you might relate to this. Because when a geese falls out of formation, or maybe you're in the disillusionment phase and you're at home and you're kind of barely making it through, when a geese falls out of formation it can suddenly feel the resistance and the drag of flying alone. It could lose the whole group and even its life if it does not rejoin the community. And a, geese in, a goose instinctively knows this. So when it falls out of formation, a goose will do everything to get back to the community, to join the uplifting power of the other birds in front of it. And so often when we fly spiritually alone, we don't know that just being present with a spiritual community can help us through. How many of you have tried to fly spiritually alone? The walk in the park, playing golf, whatever it might be. It really is not enough. You do have to do your own spiritual practice, but it's not enough. Jesus taught us that being in community, learning to love one another is a huge part of being human. Now I'm going to share one more thing. Do you know why geese honk? Anybody know why geese honk? Have I stumped you online? Do you know why geese honk? And, and I invite you, this time of year, you can see them. Listen to them honk. The geese flying in formation honk to encourage those up front to keep up their speed. This is a scientific fact. The geese honk to keep the ones in front going fast. It's encouraging them to keep up their speed. And that's something we're great at here at St. John's. We honk encouragement to those who are moving forward to tell them, hey, keep up the good work. You know, there's kind of like a quality honking amongst geese. So anyway, I'll leave that to you to look up some more. There's like a quality honking. 
But I would say that in church, quality honking, online, in person, through a card, a phone call, whatever it might be, it results in individual empowerment and better relationships. Quality honking means being quick to praise and slow to criticize. Quality honking means encouraging each other to do the best we can in our quest to be like Christ in our individual lives and in our community. Quality honking during the disillusionment phase of the pandemic might just be picking up the phone to check on someone or picking up the phone to reach out to someone to say, hey, I'm struggling and I could use a honk. If you could use a honk, let us know online. I don't know if you want to raise your hand in the sanctuary, but if you need an encouraging honk, let us know. Now, I know that that can seem like a silly analogy, but it's really not. Sometimes the hardest thing we have to do is to reach out for help. It's when we feel alone. We feel like no one is listening or knows our experience and we don't know where to turn. And I'm here today to tell you and encourage you, please reach out for help. Let us know that you need a honk, a word of encouragement, a listening ear. Let us know because we are here for you. These analogies are important, and Paul was teaching about them 2,000 years ago because our church's spiritual task is truly not preservation of this building during the pandemic. That would be nice, but that's not ultimately our spiritual task. Our spiritual task is Christian service during this challenging time. And I want to share with you just three things that I'm so proud of about our church because Paul shares that the perfect church, the real church, is a community of Christ-like people living the gospel in word and deed, serving their neighbors and changing the world. And I want to share with you, especially if you're new to us, three things that I'm especially proud of that our church does to invite you to join us in this journey. Here at St. John's, number one, we have the largest table. And before the pandemic, we were serving upwards of 200 hot meals every Wednesday in a fellowship meal with our homeless and marginally housed neighbors. And we're really realizing now during the pandemic how much we miss the fellowship because it wasn't just serving the hot meal. It was sitting at round tables, family style with 200 people and getting to know their stories every week and being in relationship with people who were struggling and who needed a kind word and a hot meal and a safe place to rest. I am proud of the fact that we have not missed a meal. Can I get an amen? We had to, we had to transition to a to-go model. We had to reach out. We had to reach out for help with our other churches and say, listen, if you all aren't doing your meal program, can you help us with some to-go meals that we can use here? And I'm very proud of the fact that we have not missed a meal and we've transitioned to a to-go model. But one thing we have learned from the to-go model is how much we miss the fellowship how much we miss just being able to eat with people and listen to their stories week after week. The second thing that I'm really proud of here at St. John's that is unique about our church is that we provide space for the open shelter, which last year alone, last year alone, provided services for 3,000 men. Let that sink in. 3,000 men, women, and children who were homeless, hungry, marginally housed and otherwise in need. 3,000 people who over the course of a year lined up outside the back of this church to walk into the open shelter to get the services that they need. Can I get an amen and a round of applause for a church that helps make that possible? And the third thing, there's lots that I'm really proud of here at St. John's, but 
I only have a limited time, right? So the third and final thing that I'm going to say here about St. John's that I am so proud of is that we are a radically inclusive, safe haven for all, no exceptions. St. John's remains an open and affirming United Church of Christ where all are welcomed. And where a couple like the Macrobies, who you'll hear from in just a little bit, can come with their daughter Avery and know that they have a home here and we will journey with them as they raise her to be a wonderful person in this world, right? So I could go on. But I want to share with you a video, especially because some of you online are new to the United Church of Christ. I want to share with you a video about the United Church of Christ that talks about a place like this, which encapsulates not just St. John's, but the United Church of Christ. There's a real sense of community and love here. They accept you here without condition. I never felt more at home and more loved than when I'm with the people in the United Church of Christ. Within the United Church of Christ, there is this invitation to bring your whole self. Whoever you are when you walk through the door can be celebrated. I live about an hour and a half away, and I come out here because I love the people. I, I love this church. I find it so easy to be myself. The UCC is a church with a powerful message. It's a message of openness and inclusiveness and love for everybody. The United Church of Christ also provides an opportunity for community. We're involved with as many community groups as we can possibly be involved with. We can find God not only in worship, but in serving those in need. We believe in modeling for our children. We want to be able to help them to understand that God loves them and God receives them for who they are. It's important for them to grow up in an environment knowing that they can be exactly who they were created to be. I think it's important to invest in the UCC because you know that your investment actually is going to change lives. It's actually heartbreaking that it is so rare to find a church like this. There should be a place like this on every block healing and, and personal growth, spiritual growth would be enhanced all across the board if everyone had access to United Church of Christ communities. It's all about being one with the community, being one with God. And that's why I come to UCC. I wish that there were a place like this on every block. Because I'm here to tell you today that there's a world of need outside the doors of this church. And people are spiritually hungry during this challenging time in our history. So let's invite them to join us on this nourishing journey so that they too might know that they are not alone as we continue to shine Christ's light into this hurting world. Thanks be to God.